thanks to those who are on live, watching us on Facebook Live, YouTube Live. Um, we are glad that you are joining us today. Um, big thanks to the worship band for leading today in Chris's absence while he's on vacation. Um, Heath and Olivia, my son, and the guys in the back all did a really great job leading. We appreciate them doing that as we go forward. Um, as we prepare this message, we're continuing to go through Matthew uh, 7, the second half of the Sermon on the Mount. And as I was looking at this message today, I told uh, Drew on Monday, I was like, I don't want to preach this message. Because this is like the most 2020 message ever. And I, I just, I didn't want to preach this message, but we've been going straight through it, and so we wrestled with that, and I just, here it is. So let's, let's just go right into it. I think God is really teaching me some stuff through this this week, and I hope he does to you as well. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many ways to go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. This passage is a historical passage of what I call a turn-and-burn preacher. Um, the idea of really trying to guilt people into the other side of uh, hell, and believe me, hell is real and heaven is real, but there's something else going on here. Let's talk real quickly about what the broader road is, okay? The broad road, as Billy Graham says, it is really two things. The first part we understand, it's the mass amount of people that will miss the sake of the gospel and will live their life like they want to and miss the intent of what it means to be in a relationship with God. That's a tragedy. That's eternal separation from God. And the reason this road is broad is not just because so many people are on it, but the, as Billy Graham says this, the wide road allows us to carry our idols with us. And, and there's plenty of room for the luggage you have of, of doing things the way you want to do it and the way that you... And so the road is wide because there is no difficult thing uh, um, that we, allows us to put it down. But the narrow gate is probably best described by the Andy Stanley quote I shared with you last week. You see, it's easy to become a Christian. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of any works, lest any man should boast. It's easy, and if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that, to, to give your life to Jesus. And we'll even include the link on our, our Facebook thread here in a minute. But as you do that, I want you to understand it's easy to make the decision to become a Christian, but it is very, very difficult to follow Christ. Because you see, following Christ is really when you abandon your will and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. So after he's given this passage in Matthew 7, 13, 14, he says how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. He follows that up with saying, even in the church, it's difficult. Matthew 7, 15, he says the following. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Who are the wolves? We're going to come back to that in a minute. But before we even come back to it in a minute, let's, let's back this whole kingdom training series up and talk about the kingdom and what we've been trying to do. You see, we've been trying to break down our systems that are there, that take preeminence over the relationship we have with God. We've said systems aren't bad as long as they lead us closer to Christ. That God has ordained systems, okay? 
but the system shouldn't be the prominent thing in our life. Now, as you unpack this, we talked about Matt Chandler's definition. He says, every culture has its own plausibility structure, and that is defined as what intuitively strikes that culture as rationale or rational, depending on how you want to say it. And so every culture has this idea of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And a lot of times people have differing opinions and tensions arise. And in the Western world, he goes on to argue and articulate, since the Reformation, since the Enlightenment time, there has been this mechanistic, um, almost uh, cynical, intellectual pursuit that the Western world has bought into. And that closely aligns with a system that has been around since the beginning of time as there are two primary systems that wage war against each other and have since throughout history. And the best way I know to describe this is to go back to Jesus' time and describe it in Jesus' time. The Western world best has symbolized that of Stoicism. You see, the Stoic philosophy of Jesus' time is I think, therefore I am. If I can understand it, if I can uh, articulate it, if I can defend it, if I can, there's a mechanical process to it, then it is real. But right now, our, our culture is starting to teeter on that and shift to the other extreme, which is the Epicurean philosophy of, I feel, therefore I am. If it feels right, it must be right. And I think that what we've been trying to say throughout all of this time is that it's neither I think, therefore I am, or I feel, therefore I am, that is the right answer. The right answer is I am who God says I am. And I need to feel that. And I need to think that. And I need to pursue that. But it's difficult to do because there's so many influences around us. It's difficult to do because the world around us is at war in describing what it looks like to do this. Let me give you another example. This last week, I, I saw a post from a non-Calvary person who shared the following on Facebook. Something to the effect of, it is quite possible that all the countries all over the world are skewing their COVID numbers to affect the American election. So the countries all over the world are manipulating their COVID numbers because they want to affect the American election. Do you realize that there have been 93,000 people plus in Brazil who have now died of COVID? Do you realize that globally there are 685,000 people now who have died from COVID or with COVID? And some people are going, yes, did they die from COVID or did they die with COVID? And I would say, I don't care. Can we not politicize 685,000 deaths? Brothers, mothers, friends? Are, are we so in tune to proving our agenda? Are we so in tune to proving our world that somebody's death can be a punching bag through a, either a percentage rate or, or something along the lines to get people to rally around our cause? Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? We can have that conversation, but people, it can't be about what I think is right or what I feel is right. And so I want to ask you, are we falling prey to the wolves among us? Let me ask you this again. Who are the wolves? The wolves are those who are in the church that aren't following Jesus 
and are preying on those who follow Jesus. And, and it's true. Sometimes these are intentionally predatory. People who are in our churches and want everyone to know that they're the holiest person in the world, right? And they know they're not following Jesus, but they, they're going to use the church for their ends. But can I be a little transparent with you? I didn't really understand that in this passage that the wolves aren't always describing the people who know they're wolves. In fact, there's a, another subversive group of wolves among us. Look no farther than the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' time who really thought they were living the holy and righteous life. And they were wolves, and they were preying on the, the weaknesses of the people in their churches, in the, the people of their synagogues at the time, but the churches of today. They were preying on it, and they didn't even realize they were doing it. You see, wolves can look and occasionally even behave like sheep. They could rock the babies in the nursery. They could wave in the parking lot. They could sometimes even quote you scripture and pray seemingly very holy prayers. They can seem spiritual, but their motives are inward instead of kingdom focused. So as I started to dive into more of an understanding of what it looks like to find the wolves among the churches, I found a large swath of definitions of wolves. And a lot of times people go, well, that's a wolf, that's a wolf. But there seems to be four themes that I found over and over and over again as the sign of a wolf, and it's best summarized by an article I found on Crosswalk. So let's look at four signs of a wolf. They refuse correction and respond to criticism with anger. Hello, 2020. Right? They refuse correction and respond to criticism with anger. They use emotions to get what they want, either through manipulation or bullying. They are ultimately trying to get what they want or prove their view is always right. And if everybody else would just think how they think, the world would be enlightened. And finally, and probably most importantly, they lack evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And as you chase this passage down in Matthew, I told you I didn't really want to preach this one, right? As you chase this passage down through Matthew and you follow it, and he said, watch out for there's wolves among you, that following one that says there is fruit among you, he follows that up with Matthew 7, 16 through 20. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Who? The wolves. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. We know that, right? We talk about that a lot of times around here. We talk about the fact that we know we have a lot of farmers, and we have the ag industry. We understand that, that whatever a farmer sows, that is what will grow, right? But in this question of what does the fruit look like, I want to start by asking you this question. Because intuitively, when you heard that definition of what it looks like to be a wolf, you probably thought of someone that came across your, your Facebook feed this week, or someone that came across you who's annoying you at work, or someone that you sit there and go, they need to hear this. 
And I really think we need to ask ourselves this question. Could I be a wolf? And not even know it? So what are the signs? How do I know if I'm not a wolf? Well, bearing spiritual fruit is the outward evidence of what God is doing in one's heart. And that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. We have peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We could sing the song, as the fruit of the Spirit like a coconut. No, you might as well hear it, then you can't be a fruit of the Spirit. Anybody? Some of you need to go back to that VBS class. Okay, so when you do that, there are the fruits of the Spirit. Jordan Traeger will sing it for you later, I promise. As you have these fruits of the Spirit, they're supposed to be growing up with you. And here's how we fool ourselves. I have peace that my beliefs are right. And everybody else is wrong. Therefore, the fruit of the Spirit is in me. I have joy knowing I'm right, and they're all wrong. So as soon as they'll listen, but the fruit of the Spirit, as it looks in this passage, not only grows up in your life, but the fruit of the Spirit, as evidence, has to change other people's lives as well. And if the fruit that you're calling fruit creates bad fruit in other people... You don't got good fruit in your heart. That was very bad grammar. And I sit there, and I go, yes! And then I have to have a gut check. Because you see, if I had preached this message Monday, I would have not been preaching out of the fruit of the Spirit. I had to repent and I had to check my motives. Let me lighten the mood a little because I feel like it's heavy in here. There's a great YouTube video. It's called The Honest Pastor, right? You can, you can look it up, Honest Pastor. I warn you, there are some real ones, but this one's fictional, okay? So don't look at the real ones. They're just depressing. But the funny one is Honest Pastor, and he walks out to the group. You can look it up. And he walks out, and he comes out up on stage, and he's got his Bible, you know, his big, thick Bible, and he opens it up, and he, he stares out at the audience, and he goes... Oh, closes his Bible. He says, can I, I just want to take a moment to say, guys, you guys are making me look bad in front of Jesus. Like every week, I, I sit in my office on Monday and somebody comes in my office and they go, whoops. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Don't, right? He goes, you're making me look bad in front of Jesus. Stop it. And then he goes, I, 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 let me, here's the message for today. He opens up the word and he goes, the word of the Lord says, stop it. Closes his Bible and he walks off. The other funny part of that one is there's a part in there where he says, um, you need to understand that I took a vow to not tell who is the worst person the congregation is, but it's Dan. Dan is the worst. And I'm sitting there laughing at this video because it's kind of what every pastor at some point when they're not really following Christ wants to do. I hate to admit that, but we kind of want to do that. And then I go, yeah, I wonder who Dan is. And then I'm like, wait a minute, your name's Dan. Yol. And how quickly I forget that I'm the worst. How quickly my self-righteousness grows how quickly I can turn into a wolf because I know the right thing to do. <sighs> May we repent. How do we then nurture 
the fruit in our life. We have to stay connected to the root source, our relationship with Christ. And we all need to all examine what is growing within us to determine if we are really following Christ. Because repentance is pulling the weeds, but it's also working the land. It's allowing God to grow the crop. Second Peter 1, 5 through 5-9 tells us how to do that. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. With endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and forgotten the cleansing of his or her past sins. You see, we don't earn the right to follow Christ. Yet once we are a follower of Christ, this implies we will actually do what he says, right? Because followers follow Jesus. We have that out there. And we go, why is that out there? Because we don't let it sink through a lot. Followers follow Jesus. And sometimes this is hard because we have to really work at it. So how do we work at it? Well, the farmer works the land, but God grows the crops. So what weeds do you need to pull and what do you need to plant? What do we plant? Well, let's look at the seeds that we need to plant. Faith. Faith is trusting in what we cannot see. It's trusting in what we cannot see. Say, I'm not a person of faith. Yes, you are. You sat in the chair. You had faith that chair would hold you. You go to the pharmacist, right? They fill your prescription. Unless you're a pharmacist or a very, 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 very skeptical person, you probably take the pills without looking up to measure it on the screen to make sure it's the right thing. You take it. You have faith. Faith, as a follower of Jesus, is trusting that God who says I should be who I should be is right, even if I don't know what that looks like. And as I'm faith, I'm drawn into the presence of God, and that's where the relationship begins. But sometimes you need a little added supplement to faith. It says when faith seems to like it, you're calling at the end, you need to add to it goodness, another seed, goodness. Goodness here is virtuous living to a level of excellence. Goodness is virtual living. It says that I'm going to be steadfast in doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it if it's right, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Even when I don't feel like doing this, I'm going to do it. The best example I have of that is even when you don't feel like being married, you're married. So you've got to figure it out. And when you run into a brick wall with that, you have to plant in the, the idea of knowledge. This is a thorough understanding of the subject matter. It's, it's spiritual, holistic, not just book smart, but it says that I'm going to trust that God, as I pursue my understanding of who He is, is going to elevate me. He's going to grow within me this understanding of what it means to walk with Him in a better way. I'm going to be dare I say, enlightened, the fruit is going to grow into me that I'm going to allow myself to know more of who I should be so that I can continue the virtuous living in faith. And when that seems to hit a roadblock, because you will, you supplement that with self-control. That is the mastery or control of your actions or your emotions. Woo! Who got that one down? 
the mastery or control of your actions and emotions, that I'm not going to allow my emotions to drive me off. I'm not going to allow what somebody else has done. I'm not giving them the reins to my heart and the reins to my life. When you start struggling with self-control, <laughs> endurance. Endurance is really fun, right? Marathon runners, yeah. You know, if I sit out there and I go, I'm going to go run 26 miles today, I'm not going to do it. First of all, my knees are horrible. Second of all, I don't know that I've ever run more than five miles, six miles. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I haven't. With a 10K, I've run that once. Never run farther than that. So if I went out to go run a marathon, guess what would happen? Daniel wouldn't do very good. But that built up the endurance. And I think sometimes we set off and we go, yes, all praise to Jesus. And then we set out on this long and we don't build up the endurance of having people walk through us. And, and so the temptation a lot of times is to quit. Ask a marathon worker. The, the marathon person doesn't want to quit in the last mile because they're too close. When do they want to quit? Somewhere between two-thirds and three-fourths of the way through. Because you've gone forever and there's a little bit ways to go. And so you have to endure by keeping your eyes on the prize. And I think that's the key to endurance. So as we're following Jesus, we can go, yes, the world feels like chaos. Yes, it feels like at times it's struggling. It can feel like I don't understand what's going on. But I want to keep my eyes on Jesus and endure to the end. Because one day I want to stand before him and say, well done, thy good and faithful son or daughter. When you struggle with that, you just got to find your godliness, which is your zeal. That's recognizing the goal. That there is a finish line. That there is a heaven. And I want to stay steadfast to it. And then you add to it brotherly affection, which is the community piece that says there's people in this room sometimes who have to say, Daniel, there's a weed growing up. You may not see it. It's behind you. Boop. I'm going to love you to show you where you're struggling. I'm going to love you to show you all that, and I'm going to supplement that and add to it. Finally, the agape, unconditional love of God. So where are you in your field of your spiritual fruit? They build on each other. Where are you getting stuck? Maybe you need to work on that. But if you notice it ends with love, and, and I want to say this very carefully. If what we are doing is not done in love, it is not of God. It is not. Because God is love. Discipline is sometimes love. Correction is sometimes love. But if it's not done in love, it's not of God. So we have to guard against fooling ourselves concerning the genuineness of our faith, against pretense, of, against fooling ourselves into thinking we're holier than we are. We need to recognize that it's okay for people to occasionally disagree with us. If we hold to the same foundation, we need to rejoice and sing. And what happens when we struggle? I love this quote by Trila Newbell. It says this, Christians, one day we'll see clearly. We'll understand what is right and wrong. Notice it doesn't say who was right and wrong. That's always a good way to approach it. We'll know truth and understand justice. We'll also worship together. We'll love true, pure, true, we'll love, sorry, true, pure, and righteous love. That day will come. Until then, let's pray for each other.
Until then, let's sing together. And it's amazing to me how many people are so mad at people they will hope to spend eternity with them in heaven. I'm like, that's not going to play well. I don't know where my grammar went today. It just went out the door. That was, it's okay to laugh. I can't tell if you're smiling or not. So how does that happen? And how do we know? He concludes this passage with a warning, a very stark warning. Verse 7 of Matthew, uh, chapter 7 verse of Matthew, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out the demons in your name and do miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. This scares me, because, and I've been praying all week against the spirit of confusion. But we all need to ask ourselves if we are really letting God lead us. And if not, we need to come to a posture of repentance. We need to ask if we're really letting God lead us, and if not, we need to come to a posture of repentance. And if you're there, it's because of one of three reasons. One, you never matured in your faith. No one ever told you that the seed has to grow. You've stagnant. You've, you've, you've never really grown up to maturity to where you can have a civil conversation with another believer. You're right, they're wrong. Second, Another reason is you could have a continued season of disobedience or apathy of faith or a falling away of faith, if you will. This happens a lot when you quit growing. I, 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 y'all know I've been smoking meat later. I didn't do this early, the early service, but there's something called the stall when you smoke meat. You get to a certain point and it just stops. So you've got to take it out and wrap it in foil to speed up. The, that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get you to realize you may have stalled in your faith in order to finish the, what God is doing in your life We've got to do something to help it along. And the third one is probably the most scary. You have a misunderstanding of a surrendered life to Jesus in the first place. Maybe you never really intended to give Jesus your life. You just wanted a get-out-of-jail-free card, a get-out-of-hell-free card. And if you're there, just have a conversation with us because we're not trying to confuse you. We're not trying to build up our numbers by baptizing a 1,000 people again. We'd love to baptize genuine believers who understand what it means to really give your life to Christ the first time. But we also want you to know that if you aren't really following God, there's something wrong. And that's why the pastors are here to help. So Philippians 2, 12-15 says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is the fear of, oh, what if I'm wrong, that allows you to make sure it's right. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I'll, I'll read that again in case somebody wants to say amen. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Can't believe that guy read that again. So that you may be blameless and pure children who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Guys, let me be very transparent. 
to you. I didn't want to preach this message. Because I love you. And I, I don't like preaching messages that it feels so heavy. But because I love you, I needed to preach the message. And if it's not done in love, we shouldn't do it. And if, if you think I'm doing this because you think I'm self-righteous, then you weren't alone with me in my bathroom on Monday morning when I was crying out to God. The other times this week when I've had to go, okay, there you go again. Your heart's getting away from you again. No, this is, we're not going to correct this culture by finding the right answer. We will correct this culture not on anything that we can do. If this generation, if this culture has any chance, may we abandon ourselves and realize that we have to be in kingdom training. So I will love through good and bad. That is my promise to you as a pastor of this church. With that in mind, I give you this daily training. We encourage you, one day, each day this week, ask God to show you where you need to repent. Repent means turn away from. And let me warn you, if you've never done this, it's like watching a horror movie, so you may not want to do it last thing before you go to sleep. But you show God what... I like to do it like about 9 o'clock because I don't go to bed at 9 o'clock despite the rumors. I go to bed at like 9.30. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I like to do it a little buffer, but I like doing it late at night because I like waking up the next morning with a kind of feeling like a, a fresh snow has fallen. But when we repent, it reminds us that we're not so perfect. And when we're reminded that we're not so perfect, we get reminded of what God's grace is. And when we recognize and sit in God's grace and His love and His, His we begin to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, it shapes the way we look around us. And then all of a sudden we see people who are hungry for the kingdom of God, not just trying to be right. And we reach out to them and we accept their faults. And we, we're able to overcome them. We're able to point them to truth. We're able to point them to love. And it all begins when we come into the presence of God. Let me ask you, are you a wolf? The answer is we all have been at some time in our life. Are you right now? Let's come before the Father. Let's build up His kingdom. Let's make it about Him. Father, we are thankful for what you're doing in our lives and in our midst and in our church. Teach us, God. Show us. Forgive us when we are arrogant. Forgive us when we think that we have all the answers. Oh, God, may we rest in the knowledge of you that you are faithful and kind and loving and just. You are true. You are disciplinarian, but you are also a friend. You are the beginning and the end, the God of all creation. You are holy and righteous and true. And as we declare how good you are, we are reminded how we fall short of that. But God, through that posture, may we be reminded that you have invited us to come back into your presence to worship and declare that you are holy. So God, may the words that come off our lips, may they be de delightful in your ears. May the heart cry 
of our soul be to, to live in communion with you. Change us. Draw us into you. And may we live for you. In your holy and precious name we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.